Well, we continue in the book of Genesis. So if you'd like to follow along in the Bibles provided in the chairs, we're on page two. We've made it to page two. So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter two, verses four through 17, four through 17. We understand that in chapter one, God shows us all the creation take place and it's very good. Now in chapter two, he's focusing in on his creation of Adam and Eve. So he's taking us back and then focusing in on that moment because ultimately all of this creation is for one ultimate plan of displaying God's glorious grace and for redemption. So we can see where it's where this is the focal point is his creation of Adam and then from Adam Eve to be his image bearers for that ultimate eternal plan of redemption to display God's grace and glory and his love. So that's the entire purpose of everything. The purpose and reason for everything. Because God reveals it. It's for His glory to be displayed through His gracious love. And where ultimately is that most clearly displayed? On the cross of Jesus Christ. So we see where everything is pointing to that moment. That moment. So, if you'd like to follow along, we are on Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and from there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havla, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx were also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it 
and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Father, we pray that you would guide us at this time through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you'd give us wisdom and understanding, that we may know your truth and live according to your truth. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Here we see, starting at verse 4, where God is making clear that he is the creator, that he has created everything. We looked at that when we went through Genesis 1. God is God and we are not. God is the one who is in control. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. His ways are perfect. And he creates everything from nothing. He speaks it into existence. And we understand that his spoken word is Jesus Christ, as the power of the Holy Spirit's hovering over the waters. So we see that creation is a work of the triune God. And God is doing this work of creation for his ultimate work of redemption. That's always plan A, first and foremost. So we see here in Genesis chapter 2, where God is reminding of that. We see this in verse 4, where again it's emphasized, God created the earth and the heavens. We see this not only through Genesis 1, but remember when we looked at Hebrews 11.3, that that is faith. Faith is the understanding that God made everything. He made everything that is visible from things that are not visible. From nothing. We understand in Colossians 1 that all this creation took place through Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Word, the eternal begotten Son. And this was all through Him and for Him, and Jesus Christ holds it all together. So we understand God not only as the Creator, but as the Sustainer. Every beat of our heart, every breath, Every movement of the sun, moon, and stars, every movement of the breeze, everything is within God's control and knowledge. That's what sovereignty means. Sovereignty means power over all and everything at all times. So we see God lifted up in that way. Again, verse 4 reminds us that God's creation displays who he is. And that's what we looked at when we looked before at Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 20. It talks about God. It says, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. There is no one that can say, but God, we didn't. 
without excuse. So this is to display God, this creation. And what's so amazing is chapter 2 focuses in on the ultimate work of God's creation is Adam and Eve. This is what it all comes down to. He is going to make Adam, and then he's going to make from Adam Eve, so that they can represent his image, and that they can display fully, more than anything else in creation, God's ultimate plan of redemption. God is about lifting up his glory, us glorifying him. And the most ultimate way to glorify God is to understand that we in and of ourselves are powerless and absolutely dependent on him. And then as we see where Adam does break the rule, I'll give a little away. He does break the rule, and then we see that all the descendants of Adam and Eve are born as rule breakers. That now we understand not only are we absolutely dependent on God as a creator, but we are absolutely and eternally dependent on God as the Redeemer. The one who buys us back. The one who sends his son to die so that our sins are placed on him that the wrath that we deserve is on him so that instead of the full penalty of our sins, we receive God's love as a gracious gift. That there's nothing we could do, say, or think to earn. And that's how God ultimately receives all the glory and praise and honor. That's how he is most clearly displayed. So when we come back to this section of Genesis 2, we see more of the, the crucial foundation of that, that teaching being set in place. And we're going to see this as we continue through Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that the New Testament continues to come back to these scriptures, showing where the foundation is for the gospel and who God is and who we are and our utter need for God. We see here in our passage that we're looking at now in verses 5 through 7. We see that though, remember every time God would go through a day of creation, he said, it is good, it is good. It wasn't until after he made man and woman that he said it was very good. It was complete. So here, as God takes us back to this focus on the creation of man and woman, we see where... It is incomplete without Adam and Eve. It is incomplete. Verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. So we see this even though God has already made all the kinds of the plants and animals and that, there are still these crops that will be plowed and harvested by the sweat of the brow, which hasn't taken place yet. Hasn't taken place yet. So these plants have not sprung up out of the ground, just as it is until after the fall that the thorns and thistles and those other things that cause suffering and difficulty and challenge haven't sprung up yet. Also, the God has not caused it to rain. Up until this point, 
Everything is watered by underground springs or mists, so there is no rain falling from the sky. So everything is waiting. There's this moment where it's anticipation. And that's what Isaiah 45, 18 talks about. Isaiah 45 says this, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. So we see that all this creation, everything, all the animals, all the plants, the land, the waters, the heavens above, the stars, the moon, the sun, all this vast universe is created for God to bring His image bearers, Adam and Eve, into and for Him to display His plan of redemption in them. Wow. But if it ultimately is all focused in on us giving God glory and all creation giving God glory, why is there so much creation? Why is there this vast universe? Why is there so much diversity of plants and animals and things? It's just, it's staggering. Why? Romans 1. This displays God's power and divine nature. We are all struck by God's greatness as we consider him. So that, again, is what these scriptures are taking us to. And we see how God, just as God had formed the animals out of the ground, we see where God here, how he focuses in on makes man. This is verse 7. Verse 7 of our text. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed. So here's the breath of life. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Remember, just as we looked at in Genesis 1, God creates every living creature directly and specifically from his own word. From his, there's no one kind becoming another kind. No, God, every specific kind, God creates and here we see that's what he's doing with Adam. He breathes into him the breath of life. And then he takes him and he puts him in the most wondrous garden you could ever imagine. To put his power and his love and his care on the greatest display one could ever imagine. And that's where he takes Adam and places him there. Why does God do this? Again, it's for his glory. It's for his glory. I have several different passages in the outline that talk about this, where the scriptures go back to this moment and say this is all for his glory. You see this in Isaiah 43. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, who I created for my glory. Whom I formed and made. Isaiah 6.3 Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth 
is full of His glory. Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay. And You are our potter. We are all the work of Your hand. This is so crucial. So crucial. Because this is setting up why we are absolutely, completely dependent on God. We were nothing... And God comes and He forms us and breathes life into us. And then now we're living. We are absolutely, completely dependent on God. The same God that breathed life into Adam continues to sustain and bring life to each and every one of us. And ultimately, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But where will our soul be? Where will we be eternally? Is the question we're all confronted with. So we see the third point I have here is God gives and sustains abundant life beyond our hope and imagination. And this is where we're getting into the focus of this passage. We see where God breathes into the man. He brings him to the garden. And there's such emphasis in verse 9. That out of the ground he causes to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight. So for the eyes, for the nose, pleasant and good for food, for taste. So all the senses, everything is beyond comprehension and everything is wonderful and everything is perfect. And there is no sin, there is no suffering, there is no disease, there is no pain, there is nothing wrong. There's just this beautiful perfect garden that there's more than can be imagined to be had and this is what god puts on full display for adam and we see here that there are two trees that are singled out there's a tree of life the tree of life and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil And here's the first time in creation that anything of evil has been mentioned or brought up. This is it. This is it. This is the first time. Before this, there was no concept of, not it was never spoken of, it was never understood. This is it, the first time. And God says, when he says the name of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see here in verses 10 through 14 where he describes the location, these four mighty rivers and all the water in abundance. And ultimately it brings us, it shows God not only provides all the food that can be imagined, but all the gold and metals and precious stones, everything that is beautiful and wonderful and valued of this heaven and earth, God has in full display in that area. And ultimately, God takes us to verse 15. God has Adam work it and keep it. And then verse 16, God gives his first command. The first command. You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. Everything that I have given you that is good 
that is right, that is perfect, that is life-giving, that displays my power and glory and love. Everything that God has created that is wonderful and good, God gives fully to Adam. You can have this. It's all for you to enjoy and to give me glory through. That's what God's saying here. You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. All that is beautiful to the eye, beautiful to the taste, beautiful to the touch, beautiful to the smell. Everything that is pleasing, God is giving and offering through His full grace. But then verse 17. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. This is it. The one rule. This is the test. And why is it God doesn't want Adam to eat from it? He explains. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. Because in eating of it, you will disobey. You will rebel. You will say that God's best isn't good enough. That all that God has offered and provided, you'd rather have your own desires over what God has given so freely. Ultimately, to break this rule means that you want to be either like God or God over your own life. And it will lead to death. This is the warning. This is the truth that God displays here. We understand this. We understand this concept in Scripture. This is what Jesus talked about. In John 10.10, Jesus says this. The thief. So we understand this. The the devil, the Satan, the tempter, the accuser. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But why did Jesus come? I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life. Rich life. Full life. Good life. Life of blessing. Life of wholeness. How is it that we can trust Jesus' words in that? Look at the life God provided to Adam in the Garden of Eden. You do not get more abundant and full than that. So that's where we see Jesus' words pointing us back to the abundance laid out in the garden. That to believe in Jesus Christ means to turn away from the rebellion and disobedience. To say no to ourselves and to say yes to God in faith and in trust. That's why we see in verses 16 and 17 these these two truths lifted up. Obedience to God maintains life, gives life. Disobedience to God brings death. That is the main principle of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, 
Numbers, Deuteronomy. Keep going. Get to the prophets. Keep going. We see it with the kings. Keep going. We see it displayed through the New Testament and ultimately in the book of Revelation. So I'll say it again. Obedience to God gives life. Disobedience to God brings death. So this is what's being lifted up here in Genesis chapter 2 with that command to Adam. But the issue that we face is this. Because Adam did disobey, because ultimately he did rebel and eat of the fruit, that we all are born into sin. That we can't be obedient completely and fully in and of ourselves. We're powerless to do that. So that's why we need a new Adam. That's why we need someone who does come and faces every temptation, faces every command, faces every rule, every regulation of God. We need someone to come and face all those tests and temptings and never sin. And that is Jesus Christ. So we understand that even though we all have disobeyed, and what is the wages of sin? Death. So we've really earned something. The wages of sin of death is death. But there's this gift of God's grace in His Son, Jesus Christ, that leads to eternal life. Eternal life. Abundant life. Full life. That's what we see laid out here. But every time we sin, every time we're faced with a temptation and test, every time we're confronted with this question, am I going to trust that God's best is good enough? Or am I going to seek after my own desire, my own passion, do something my own way, thinking that I can find a better way than the way God has made clear? Every sin, every sin of word, every sin of thought, every sin of action, we're confronted with this moment that Adam was, and whenever we fall into that sin, we say, God, your way isn't good enough or pleasing enough for me at this time. That's why David, after he sinned against Bathsheba and sinned against Uriah and sinned and sinned and sinned and lied and covered up and sinned against his people. And Nathan the prophet comes and confronts him and he confesses his sin and he writes one of the most beautiful psalms. He says this, God against you and you alone have I sinned. Because he understood that that's what every sin of word, thought, and action comes down to. It's this moment that Adam faced. Will we trust and obey knowing God's way is perfect and good? Or will we try to do our own way which only and always leads to destruction and death? That's what every sin comes down to. And it all begins here with the first command. 
So when Jesus comes in Matthew 6, Jesus is speaking and teaching, and it's as if he's taking us back into the garden. It's as if he's taking us back to this time of of Adam and then Adam and Eve. And it's in Matthew 6, verse 26 through 33. It's this beautiful set on the mount. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And here it is, verse 33. But seek first and foremost with all your passion, all your desire, with your thoughts, word, and action, Have your life shaped around this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. That's where Jesus takes us back to that moment of Adam. And he says, seek first God's kingdom, his righteousness, looking to him. This is humility. This is humility. That's why First Peter, when he takes about that anxiety or, or not trusting God's good is good enough. Says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. It isn't exalt yourself. No, it's humble yourself before God and he will exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. That's why we're all confronted. Every time we're confronted with a temptation, every time we see ourselves tripping up and sinning, we're doing the same thing as Esau for a bowl of lentil stew. Now, let me tell you, I like lentil stew. Who's here had a good lentil stew? I had a good lentil stew. I like lentil stew. But are you willing to give up your birthright for a bowl of soup? Are you willing to do that? That's what Esau was. Because he comes in and he's hungry, he's starving. Ah, What's my birthright to me now? Give me the stew. You can have the birthright. We read that and we think it's ridiculous, don't we? 
Yet every time we sin, it's more egregious than that. Every time we are saying, God, you're perfect and you're best and, and, and your beauty, we give that up for a bowl of poison every time. It doesn't even nourish us. It just leads to our death. That's why we cling to, that's why we hold to, that's why we thank God Almighty that we are saved by His grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. We know this because of the Scriptures alone tell us that everything is for God's glory alone. Have mercy. If any part of my salvation was dependent on me being completely obedient to God's will and ways, it's a non-starter. I'm not going to make it. But we cling to and hold to in faith Jesus Christ, knowing that He is the author and perfecter of our faith. That He is the Adam that was confronted with every command and that, and He never sinned. Jesus Christ always, when he was confronted with temptation, he always said, God, your way is best, your way is perfect, and that is the way for me. And the good news is in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us so we can begin to walk that path of saying no to sin and yes to God. And we continue to hunger and desire, not for the bowls of poison, but for God's perfect, wonderful feast of all that He's provided in our lives. Let us pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You that though the, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, Father, we thank you that though we continue to need diligence to say no to the world, to say no to our fallen flesh, Father, we thank you that through your grace, you have made us alive through the gift of faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will remind us Remind us of who we are in you. Remind us of the abundant, beyond hope or imagination life that you give us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to, to stop settling for what is wrong and to keep striving out of gratitude for your grace toward what is right. We thank you, Lord, that though Adam did not pass the test, and that though we fail daily, that your Son, Jesus Christ, passed with flying colors. Father, we thank you that in him we can find righteousness and abundant life. In Christ's wonderful name, Amen.